Hi FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. Welcome to Soul to Soul, right here on 101.9 Chai FM. I'm Rabbi Ari Kiedman. Great to be with you. So today, let's begin our discussion about the day that today is. It's Tzom Gedalia. It is a fast day. You know, the practical reason in my mind why we're fasting today, very simply is, well, we've been... We've been eating a lot of food over Rosh Hashanah. Yes, the shul is parts you have to get up and get down and all that is good because it gives us a little bit of exercise. But for all the eating we're doing, we need a little bit of a detox now from all that food. So after 48 hours of delicious gastronomic delights, especially if you were in my home, then now it's time to have a little bit of relaxation. No food today. Now, of course, at the end of the day, it's not one of the major fasts. I mean, Yom Kippur is the holiest fast, which we'll talk about in a moment, coming up next week, Wednesday, Thursday. But today is a important fast, and if one is able to fast, one should. But if they can't, better to have the strength and energy to fast on Yom Kippur than fasting today. The Gemara, we were just studying, tracked at Rosh Hashanah, and it explains that the death of tzaddikim, is likened to the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash itself. Gedalia was a governor of the Jewish people. And as such, firstly, he wasn't just an ordinary person. He was considered a tzaddik. He was considered a holy person. He was the last hope of the Jewish people to retain some some form of autonomy and self-rule after during the period of the destruction of the first temple. And Gedalia was actually murdered on the second day of Rosh Hashanah itself. However, the fast to commemorate his assassination by fellow Jews was postponed, was pushed off until after Rosh Hashanah in order to observe the day properly. On Rosh Hashanah, we like to eat our food, we like to celebrate and enjoy. So therefore... It wasn't, we don't fast on Rosh Hashanah. So the day after Rosh Hashanah we fast. And like I said, a good day to have a detox, right? Gedalia himself, he was a tzaddik, he was a navi, a prophet. And this murder was committed by a fellow Jew, which made it all the more tragic. It was something that Klali saw the Jewish people suffered at the hands of the Babylonians at the time. But worse yet, to have trouble brewing from within. The general rule is that only only boys age 13 and above. I have two kids fasting today. Because my daughter, although she's not yet 12, she's not bat mitzvah. But this is one of her first, her fasts before her bat mitzvah. The custom is that three fasts before your bat mitzvah. I think I'm actually mistaken. She's going to have Yom Kippur, 10th of Tavis, and and the Fast of Esther. All right, apologies to be. Whatever the case, the idea is that it's it's one of those rabbinic fast days. And if we're able to fast, we should do so. I would say about kids, what I told my kids this morning when they were asking for some treats, is that for children, they should that they should not be fasting. But they should avoid sweets, candies, uh, ice cream, chocolates, all the other goodies that they want because it is, after all, a fast day. 
Now, in the Avinu Malkenu prayer that we say, both at Shachris this morning and at Mincha this afternoon, there are usually two columns indicating two different versions to recite. One for the Aseret Yimei Teshuva, the ten days of repentance that we're in right now, and one for general fast days. And some Gedalia, obviously, we are in this period between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, so we're going to recite the words that are said during the Aseret Yimei Teshuva, not the general fast days. What if someone forgot to fast, or someone forgot that it's a fast day today, and they ate? So obviously, if you're strong and you're capable and able to fast, then start fasting when you're remembered. What else could you do? We don't say that once you ate, the fast is lost, it's gone. If a bracha was made of food, and then the person remembered that, oh my, today's a fast day, and we say, don't say, don't taste the food. Rather, you say, Baruch Shem Kavad Machus so that it's not a bracha in vain. And in that instance, you are able to, the bracha is not made in vain, but the person shouldn't eat the food. What about people who aren't well, or a diabetic who's told by the doctor that they have to eat in order for their insulin levels not to drop? Then of course, they should not be fasting, and they should be instead giving charity in place of the fast, of course, um, as lots of the people participating here in the shir are elderly, I don't recommend that elderly people should be fasting today. If you want to fast, then maybe Yom Kippur is a lot more important for a person to fast. And uh, therefore, try to muster the strength for that. Even Yom Kippur. There are rules, there are halachas, which I'm not going to go into today, about how one should break the fast if they have to eat on doctor's orders. Not just to be carp lunch, eat whatever you want. It is, after all, the holiest day of the year, Yom Kippur. So the person should eat. There are certain measurements, and we'll get into that just now. How much charity, someone's asking, should one give if they're not fasting? It's a good question. The truth is, in the books of Halacha, it says that the amount should be equivalent to the amount of food that you eat in a typical day. So, I don't know, if you spend 200 rand of food in a typical day, then you should be giving 200 rand for charity today. Of course, you could do as what works for you. If somebody has difficulty fasting, but you're not sick, and you still have to fast, push yourself. It's, it's one of the six fast days of the year. We Jews don't have that many fast days. We don't have Ramadan. We don't have other cultures have a whole month of fasting. We don't have that. And yesterday, hopefully we ate plenty to have the strength today. Because our sages tell us not fasting today is called Poritz Gedda, which literally means breaking the fence. And uh, it's not something we want. We want to try to keep our traditions to the best of our ability. So even though it's a minor fast, it's still important that one participates in it. Now during these days, the Aseris Yimei Teshuvah, Hashem in His infinite kindness has given us a gift here is a period from Rosh Hashanah to Yom Kippur that we could make amends for the past. Now, not everyone, unfortunately, necessarily, according to the way our sages put it in the Talmud, merited to receive a judgment on Rosh Hashanah. Some people have their spiritual report card, so to speak, pushed off. Maybe we're not deserving. So the Talmud explains that the Benjamin, the average people, are judged during these 10 days of 
what's called Ben Kesel Asr, from Rosh Hashanah to Yom Kippur to the 10th day, if the average person successfully repents, does the tshuva, then they are inscribed with the tzaddikim in the book of life. And indeed, even Rishayim, even the most wicked of all people, although they may have a negative fate for the coming year, it's not sealed until Yom Kippur. And our fate can be changed. And this, the gift is, that everyone receives a second chance. So, we realize these are important days. We're, 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 I guess, reaching towards that moment of appeal. You go to the appeals court, that even if we weren't favorably judged yet, we could still fine-tune ourselves and merit a better year to come. This phrase, it's interesting, the Talmud uses, Ben Kesel Asr, this is the days between Rosh Hashanah, when the moon is covered, it's called Kesel, it's the early days of the month, to the tenth of the month, Yom Kippur. These ten days give all people the opportunity to make amends, to correct our sins. We have a, an opportunity with our GPS to make that U-turn. Hashem comes closer to us, makes it easier to make those changes. And the Talmud understands this verse that we said in our prayers. Dirshu Hashem Seek Hashem when He may be found. Karu Call out to Him when He's near. That's referring to these specific days, the 10 days of Teshuvah. We find these 10 days have significance in other places too. Chazal, our sages, tell us that Hashem did not immediately punish Naval, the first husband of Abigail, for the sin he committed against David HaMelech and for his tremendous inhospitality. Naval deserved immediate punishment for his mistreatment, but Hashem did not inflict it then. Rather, Hashem gave Nava the opportunity to do Teshuvah during this period. So we see the enormous power that these 10 days possess. In fact, the Medrash, Yalkut Shimani, tells us that the Ansheik Nasa the men of the Great Assembly, they incorporated 10 verses of Malchias, Zichronas, and Shofras that we said in the Musaf yesterday to correspond to the 10 days of Teshuvah. This is how important these days are. The Shalah HaKadosh, actually my wife's great-great-grandfather, Rabbi Yeshaya Halevi Horowitz, he explains that the Aseras made Teshuvah is progressively more and more urgent. Action has to be taken, both in areas between us and our fellow human beings, as well as in our bond, our connection with Hashem. And this is the period when we could use a little bit of CPR. Teshuvah, tefillah, tzedakah, charity, prayer, repentance. There are seven days, basically, that are between the two days of Rosh Hashanah that just passed and Yom Kippur. And our sages explain that during each of these seven days, so starting today, we are able to make amends for every Thursday of the past year. And tomorrow for every Friday of the past year. And Shabbos for every Shabbos of the past year. All the way through to Wednesday, because Thursday itself will be Yom Kippur. So we have to utilize this time to make amends, to do our part. We're, you know, we have a special role in the world. We've, we've said many times, each of us is indispensable to God's plan for the world's existence fact that we're here. 
And as a Jewish people, we have our special role, as every people has their role. So up until now, you know, we've potentially fulfilled our plan of being a nation of Mamleches Kohanim, a nation of priests, the Gal Kadosh, holy, a holy people, bringing knowledge of Hashem to the world. We, the Davening of Rosh Hashanah, emphasized the hope and dream when all the nations of the world would, we said, that will become one entity, world, imagine, global unity. The Torah commands us to make sure that we not forget the special role that we have. Even with the special mitzvahs that God gives us to make sure that our, that our role, being a light unto the nations, should not be lost. And so the Mishnah tract that Abad Azura tells us that the rabbis forbade a number of items that certain things that we, we can't use and the concern for it was, for example, drinking wine. Wine, you know, you would think grapes are kosher, all fruits are kosher. Why can't I drink wine that isn't kosher? That isn't mavushal if it's, if it's for kiddush and in the specific rules of wine. We can't drink any nesach. And part of it is to do with us remaining distinct. Because it's very easy to assimilate into society and to forget who we are. It's good to be to be part of the nations, and it's good for us to connect with others, but we shouldn't do it at the expense of forgetting who we are. And our sages were concerned about intermarriage and of losing that special destiny, the special identity of who we are. So, very interesting is, for example, there's a rule of Pas Yisrael. A lot of people aren't aware of this. Pas Yisrael is bread. That is not just kosher. I mean, what could be wrong with bread? A lot of things can be wrong with bread if it's not kosher because you never know, just like with many other foods, what ingredients, what's, what's inside it. But during these aserasimate teshuva, even those who are perhaps lax year-round are even more particular to not eat what is called paspalter, baker's bread. Even if you trust the baker, that what could the baker put on the bread? The baker's not going to put anything in it. It's not flour and water. But still, we want to be even more particularly careful. Therefore, you buy bread that has a kosher supervision. So regular kosher bread, cakes, pretzels, cookies, ice cream sandwiches, people say avoid during, eating it during this time. It may only be eaten if the words pas Yisrael, that is under specific Rabbinic supervision is included in this. Now there are reasons for the stringency. One reason, according to the Torah, is that during these days, we try to fulfill all our mitzvahs, both Torah and Rabbinic mitzvahs, in the most pure and ideal manner possible. How is Pas Yisrael more ideal? In the past, the sages forbade us from eating all bread and mezanus items that weren't baked by Jews. However, this prohibition was partially repealed by the rabbis because the majority of our people were unable to, it's a very strict ruling. You live, uh, you live in Johannesburg. What are you going to do? Okay, the truth is we have a base in here and we have rabbinic supervision over many, many food items, but people who live further out in other areas, they might struggle getting proper kosher bread, no bakeries around. So therefore, they relaxed these rules and said, well, as long as you could trust the baker, that they're not putting in any ingredients. I mean, what could go wrong with flour and water? They're not mixing in anything else. Okay, you could eat it, you could trust it. 
But during these 10 days of teshuva, we try to refine ourselves more. We try to eat the foods that we eat, that we consume, should be foods that are of a higher kashrut standard. Another reason for the stringency, according to the Levush, is to serve as a reminder of how unique these days are. Of course, the, the, the another one mentioned by the Chaya Adam is that we're asking Hashem not to be strict according to the law, just as we're doing something extra, beyond the letter of the law, then God should be, you know, not to deal with us just on our merits, but to be, you know, extraordinarily compassionate and sensitive and uh, caring with us during this time. Now, the, we have to be, we have to take enormous care to make sure that we add the appropriate additions in our prayers during these days. For example, in the Shemana Esrei, when we conclude, we say, Osa Shalom usually. During these 10 days, we say, Osa HaShalom Imamav. It's not just that God creates peace, but we're talking specifically the peace of this period that we're specifically mentioning God's presence. And the Arizal explains that this word HaShalom in Gematria, the miracle uh, equivalence, is the same, is, it's equivalent to the name of the angel in charge of inscribing, Malach Safriel. So that's one of the reasons mentioned by the Arizal why we say Hashalom during this period. One of the most important differences between Shemana Esri, the Aseris Tshuva, including Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, is in the blessing of Akel HaKadosh, third bracha of the Shemana Esri. We change the word Kel to Holy God, to HaMelech HaKadosh. We recognize God's presence as our King during this time. So this is something the Gemara talks about. The reason why we make this change is that during this time, Hashem demonstrates His kingship over the entire world by judgment. It's a time of, of judging the world. So we say, HaMelech HaKadosh. What if you're not sure if you said HaMelech HaKadosh or HaKel HaKadosh? You're not sure what was the, what words did I say? Did I say the regular? So actually our sages tell us the assumption is that it was not said. And the halacha is that you repeat the Shemana Esra. On weekdays, when we generally say, Melech Oyev Tzedakah Mishpat, we actually change that bracha now to say, HaMelech HaMishpat. If HaMelech HaKadosh was not said, and you didn't begin the next bracha, then you can recite HaMelech HaKadosh and continue the Shemana so you don't have to repeat the entire Amida. This is because the newer version was one that was considered correct, you corrected yourself right away. But if more than three seconds elapsed since the correction, then it's a good idea. So a lot of people, what they do is they make a marker to highlight or put like a, a, a tissue or something in those pages where you're making the changes and the prayers these days to remind yourself, what's this tissue doing in my book? Ah, I got to change from Akel HaKadosh to HaMelech HaKadosh. So just going through, of course, there are other additions here. If you look inside your Siddur or Machsar, we say the words, Achmeinu L'chaim, that Hashem should remember, for, remember us for life. And Michamaych uh, Avarachaman. There are other things, Chosayv L'chaim, Tovid Kobar Nesecha. We add that Hashem should inscribe everyone for life this year. And of course, in the Sefer Chaim, we sing those words, the Sefer Chaim Berachav Shalom. These words 
are there to, to remind us, and we ask Hashem to inscribe us in the Book of Life and to give us all the extra blessings and abundance for this year. Now, tomorrow night, Friday evening, after Shemana Esrei, we generally say the tefillah of Magen Avos. Magen Avos, So in this tefillah as well, we replace Hakel HaKadosh also with HaMelech HaKadosh. The poskim, the, the halachic authorities have ruled that on the Yamim Naraim, we daven slightly louder than we do during the rest of the year. So if you were in shul, and notice that some people were a little bit more audible than usual, don't get upset. It is a custom, it's a tradition, that during this period, we speak a little bit more audibly. But we should still be careful not to create machlekes, faribles, arguments. It's better to daven in a more quiet tone if it's going to disturb, it's going to distress somebody, if anybody gets annoyed by that extra volume. What other differences? Trying to think what else to include. Oh, Avinu Malkeinu. What am I saying? Avinu Malkeinu. Every day during this period, we say Avinu Malkeinu. We recite the words, our father, our king. How many Avinu Malkeinus do we say? There's only one Avinu Malkeinu, one God, our father, our king. Okay, during the Aserah Sumei we also try to be more careful, more stringent regarding other mitzvahs too. Not just, I mean, I mentioned one about Pas Yisrael. Some people try to purchase their lulavim and asrogim during this time in order to get more mitzvahs. We have tried to arrange what we'll have available for senior citizens to get free sets, but I can't guarantee or promise yet until literally a day or two before Yom Tov. If you're going to buy your own, I encourage you to do so now, not to rely on our freebie, but if we're able to get, then please be in touch with me next week and we'll try to help you if we're able to. This firm say that if someone is not careful to eat glat kosher all year round, just regular kosher. This is a good time to eat glat kosher. But I have good news. Here in South Africa, I believe all of our meat is glat kosher. So it's not something I have to worry about. However, when it comes to chalav Yisrael, most of our milk products here are not chalav Yisrael. It's good and it's worthwhile during this time period of the year to be more stringent with chalav Yisrael. And I'll be right back in a moment and we'll start talking about Preparations for Yom Kippur itself. Just one moment. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. Soul to Soul, right here on 101.9 Hi FM. I'm Rabbi Harry Kievman, and today we are now talking about Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur is the holiest day on the Jewish calendar, and it falls out on next week, Wednesday. So next Wednesday, make sure to be all ready. We'll talk a little bit about the preparations for Yom Kippur, what you need to do to be all ready and prepared for Yom Kippur. Firstly, Yom Kippur begins on Wednesday evening. That is the, uh, let's just think it's the 15th of September at night, but it's observed all throughout the day until nightfall on Thursday the 16th of September. It's a day of atonement when God forgives our sins, wipes our slate clean. And for close to 26 hours, what are the main rules of Yom Kippur? Number one, abstain from eating and drinking. Number two, no bathing. Number three, 
No applying of ointments. Now, what about your cologne or your makeup or any of that? You could put it on before, but not on Yom Kippur. So if you want to have a nice spritz, you want to make your face all beautiful, good thing to do. You want to put on your moisturizers, whatever else you do, gesundheit, before the fast begins. Not once the fast starts on Wednesday evening. Wearing leather shoes. We don't wear, le- well, uh, we don't wear leather shoes on Yom Kippur and no marital relations. The fast begins this coming Wednesday evening in Johannesburg at 5.43 p.m. and will end at 6.33 p.m. on Thursday. So that's the fast, refraining from these everyday comforts that we usually, did I mention leather shoes? So if I didn't mention them, I mentioned leather shoes. Somebody's mentioning that to me here. Um, we abstain from these things. And it reminds us that we can be more than just creatures of impulse. That we nourish our souls just as we do our bodies. Now, on the 10th of Tishrei, if you go back in history, it's the day that God forgave the Jewish people in the desert for the sin of worshipping the golden calf. This takes us back to the generation that received the Torah from God at Mount Sinai. Now, not long after this climactic event, many Jews engaged in an idolatrous practice. They basically betrayed God. This was an act of infidelity. And this, our act, our, our sages compared that event, the Cheta Egel, the son of the golden calf, to a bride committing adultery at her wedding. It damaged the relationship between God and the Jewish people. And we know the story. Moshe came down the mountain. He broke the tablets that he just received from God. And he was planning to, to give it. Anyways, it took all the way till Yom Kippur. Moshe ascended the mountain again on Rosh Chodesh El. And that gave us 40 days now of repentance from the beginning of El. When God granted that forgiveness and gave the second tablets, that was the 10th of Tishrei. Yom Kippur, God forgave the Jewish people for the sin of the golden calf. And ever since then, this is a day of atonement. It's a day when we ask God to forgive us, just as God forgave our ancestors back then for that heinous sin. And so this day is designated as, as the day of atonement. The day has an energy of purity and forgiveness. Throughout the year, of course, we have to we, we, we ask God forgiveness all the time in every day of our prayers. But Yom Kippur, we don't need to beg for it. It's a day of atonement. God wants to forgive us and to purify us from our wrongdoings. But still, He wants us to ask. So although it's a day of atonement, we, we go to shul. We try to, or if you can't go to shul, it's better to observe Yom Kippur than to go to shul. So if you're fasting and you'll find it difficult to go to shul, if you have a choice between going to shul or fasting at home, I would say fast at home. So that's Yom Kippur. We, we, we sincerely regret all our failures, our shortcomings, whatever we did wrong in the past year, and we commit to improve, to become better. We resolve to be better for the coming year. If we don't repent, then we turn our backs on the atonement that God offers us on this day. Now on the face of it, 
Yom Kippur, when we fast and pray, it can feel like a sad day. But we talked about this last week. The truth is, we should see atonement, we should see such a day, even though we're fasting and we're abstaining from those activities, we should really see it as a joyful day. After all, what could be happier than a day in which our sins are forgiven? The Baal is said to have once attended a Yom Kippur service where the Chazan was, was chanting the, in a very joyful way all the melodies of Yom Kippur. When the Baal asked, why are you so joyous? <laughs> You're talking about the sins of our people. So the Chazan replied, he said, isn't cleaning the royal palace of garbage a joyous occasion? You might be a janitor, but you're a janitor in Buckingham Palace. He said, I'm cleaning up the sins of the Jewish people. This is worthwhile to rejoice and to celebrate. And so indeed, our soul is a palace for God. And throughout the year, somehow or another, our soul gets a little bit, the palace of our soul gets a little bit dirty. But on Yom Kippur, God cleanses our sins. All we need to do is open the door. To not repent is to lock the door in God's face as He arrives to offer atonement. Who wants to do that? So though one can repent any day of the year, this particular period from Rosh Hashanah to Yom Kippur is particularly conducive to repentance. And of these 10 days, Yom Kippur is the most conducive because the day it says, the day itself represents atonement. Many people understand repentance to mean change. And in fact, as I said before, that the word Shana, besides from meaning year, right? Shana Tova, good year. Shana means to change. And certainly we need to change. But Teshuva doesn't Teshuvas, it, it really means to return. It connotes to return to our original selves. We came in this world pristine, holy, and pure. We all start out, start out in this world with an innocent soul, a pure connection to God. When we sin, what are we doing? Like my shirt gets a little bit dirty from, you know, spilled a little coffee. Got to put it in the washing machine. So the same thing. Teshuva is the washing machine. It's the process to remove the cover, to return to our original state. It's much easier to return to what we already are than to become something we never were. So when I say that we mean to change, I mean just to change from our negativity. It means Teshuva, to return to our original, pristine, good, holy, pure self. We don't need to reinvent the wheel. The connection and purity that we seek is already there. We just need to uncover it. We just need to reveal it. Teshuva, it also reframes our sin. You think of a, use this example in the past, a couple that might have had some kind of a, a quabble, a faribble, and they've worked out, they, they resolved their differences, and they come to enjoy each other's connection much better. You think of a, a criminal who experiences real true remorse, becomes more honest than before they committed the crime. That, that's real change. Now, the criminal, they're the same person, but they've changed. The sin was not the real person. Sometimes you hear a person say, can't believe I did that, that wasn't me. What do you mean? Who else was it if not you? 
But they look back. They could identify that I don't know how I behaved in that way. At that time, something overcame me. Now, of course, a person does a crime, has to do the time, has to make up for it. But the idea of teshuva is to go back. And in fact, our sages tell us that teshuva transforms the sins into merits and into a good deed. As I've explained previously, because it becomes a springboard. The, the wrongdoing becomes a springboard to improve, to become a better person. Let's go to the practicals right now. On Wednesday morning, the day Erev Yom Kippur, it's treated as a partial holiday. And there are several observances on this day that help prepare, that we could prepare for Yom Kippur. Let's start with, with Kaparis. Okay? Um, thank God our community was granted permission, although we're, I think the lockdown rules are actually going to be even more so relaxed in the coming days. But even if they aren't, that's officially what the news is telling us. There's a custom Erev Yom Kippur to schlug kaparis. So how do you do this? The, the real deal, and then we'll talk about substitute options, is to carefully hold a live hen for a female or a rooster for a male. And to read the prayers, you'll have it in the machzor. You'll see it in whichever machzor you use. It's in there, the Erev Yom Kippur uh, prayers and traditions. Okay? So, what we do is we take this chicken. We gently wave it over your head three times. And we declare that this chicken is going to be slaughtered. And of course, the meat is going to be distributed to the poor. And we will merit forgiveness. So the chicken is slaughtered, it's being given to the poor, and we, if God forbid we were meant, we were destined not to outlive this year, then the chicken should be the kapara, should be the atonement for us. Now of course this can be done with money, and um, you'll get an email from me in the coming days about how to do it with money. You do the same thing, you wave money over your head, Recite the prayer, put the money in the tzedakah box, or you could pledge digitally to do so as well. So that's kaparis, and it's a important ritual. There's a lot of controversy around that, we won't get into that here, but I will tell you that at Torah Academy, they're going to have kaparis from very early Wednesday morning until about 8.30 a.m. It's a very uh, complex system that they put together of how it's going to be done, you drive into the parking lot, they'll put the chickens, the hens, or the roosters into your car, depending how many you ordered. You know, in my, for my family, there's nine of us, Kinanahara. So we ordered nine, corresponding to, for the males and females in the family. And what happens is, as you pull into Torah Academy, they'll put them in boxes into your car, and they are, there are supervisors from the SPCA to make sure it's all being done properly. You do it, and then it is brought to the shochet, who slaughters it, it's packaged, and it is then brought to those who are less fortunate, so they have meat to eat over the umptive days. So that's Erev Yom Kippur in the morning. Yom Kippur, we are told, atones for all of our sins. However, God only forgives transgressions against our fellow if we secure forgiveness from them first. So remember, 
When I do something wrong to somebody else, it's a sin against that person and against God. Yom Kippur forgives only for sins against God. So if I've done something to somebody else, I first have to go to the person I offended, I hurt, get their atonement and forgiveness, and only then can I move forward in atonement with Hashem. It's important on Erev Yom Kippur, we give a lot of tzedakah, charity, tzedakah, and this there's a verse in the book of Daniel, it says, with charity you remove your sin. It says that tzedakah tatzil memaves, charity saves one from death. And the Talmud teaches that when we're compassionate towards others, then God in turn is compassionate towards us. Other customs, <coughs> excuse me, of Erev Yom Kippur, Talmud teaches that eating a festive meal on Erev Yom Kippur is as meritorious as fasting on Yom Kippur. So we do both. We eat plenty on Erev Yom Kippur and then we fast on Yom Kippur itself. Some rules about the meal of Erev Yom Kippur. Firstly, the meal is important because it gives us the strength that we need for the fast. And it's not just fasting. It's many hours of immersive prayer. So we want to be well prepared, energized. In fact, it's good to drink Energade or Powerade on this day. It will help you get through. Another thing is we usually celebrate days of note, important days with a festive meal. Yesterday, did we not have a joyous Rosh Hashanah meal? So Yom Kippur is really a festival of the Yom Tov, but it's a Yom Tov on which we fast. So instead we eat the celebratory meal on Erev Yom Kippur in advance in preparation for it. Now as much as God Almighty, our Father in Heaven, wants us to fast, God doesn't want us to suffer. So when we eat well on the day before the fast, then Hashem enjoys it as much as our subsequent fasting as well. So they're both important parts, the preparation for the fast and the fasting itself. Our sages tell us, beginning Yom Kippur observances a day early, which we do on Wednesday, it demonstrates our eager anticipation of atonement, which in itself is meritorious. So these are some of the reasons why we are going to do, prepare in advance fasting. Uh, we're going to eat plenty and get prepared for Yom Kippur in that way. There's a customary Yom Kippur in the morning, called asking lekach. It's customary to request, whether from a parent, rabbi, or your friend, whoever you'll be next to, your spouse, ask them for something. And we ask lekach, what we ask for, generally it's it, this honey cake, and you'll see the bakeries prepare, or uh, you can bake it at home, some delicious honey cake, which symbolizes our wish for a sweet year. But the custom is specifically, we don't take but rather we ask for honey cake. It's called betin. You ask for it. And in case it was decreed that this year we have to resort to a handout for any reason, then the decree should be satisfied with this one time that we're asking someone and we're asking for something sweet. So we ask, whether it's a friend, a relative, a rabbi, whoever it is, ask them for a piece of honey cake and thereby we fulfill this decree, if, in case there's such a decree that we have to ask. Before the fast begins, we have to take off our leather shoes. It's customary to wear a white garment on Yom Kippur, which reminds us of our mortality, of our 
potential for purity that we're like angels. The prophet Isaiah Yeshayahu says, if your sins will be like red silk, they will turn white like sheleg, like snow. And this indicates that white is the color of forgiveness. In fact, the Talmud tractate Yuma, which talks about Yom Kippur, says that a red string was hung above the door of the temple in Yom Kippur. And at some point, miraculously, that red string would turn white. And the people knew in that instance that they were forgiven. So we dress in white, again, symbolizing our tachwikim, our shrouds at the end of life, reminding us of immortality, but more so reminding us of purity, that we're like angels on this day. But what you should not wear in Yom Kippur, we avoid wearing anything that is made of gold because we don't want to invoke the sin of the golden calf. Before Yom Kippur begins, many people have accustomed to light a 24-hour candle in honor of the Yisker prayers that we're going to recite on Yom Kippur afternoon. After the Torah reading, Shlomo Melech King Solomon wrote that Ner Hashem Nishmas Adam, the human soul, is God's candle. And so, since we are considered God's candle, as it says in Mishle, a soul is called a candle because a flame is one of the only things in our world that appears to naturally climb upward. You look at a flame, it looks like it's constantly trying to escape. So to us it seems as though it wants to ascend to the heavens. It looks like it wants to, it's the wick that's holding it back. The soul has this very same idea, this very property in a spiritual sense. Of course the soul recognizes the great importance of being here in this world of its earthly mission and it wants to complete and fulfill its divine mandate, the purpose of why we're here. However, the soul's natural desire is to escape the body, to cleave to God. When a person passes away, it's that desire is fulfilled. The soul returns to its heavenly source. So we memorialize our loved ones, our beloved departed, by lighting a candle in their honor and in their memory. And so because of Yisgar, in each festival when we, when we um, observe Yisgar, we light this candle. It's customary on Erev Yom Kippur for parents to bless each of their children individually before the onset of Yom Kippur. This blessing can be given, if you're not in person, it can be given over the phone, over Zoom, whatever video conference technology you use. When we give it in person, we ideally place our hands over the child's head, regardless of the age of their children. And the common custom is to begin with the blessing that's mentioned in the Torah, the blessing that Yaakov gave to his children, Yaakov Avinu, Yisimcha Lakim Kefrayim that God should make you like Ephraim and Menashe. Why specifically Ephraim and Menashe? They grew up in Egypt, unlike the rest of the tribes who were raised in the sanctity of the land of Israel. They were in exile, in diaspora. So we mention, we evoke Yaakov, we, that blessing of Yaakov, of Menashe and Ephraim. Or Ephraim and Menashe, as he says it in the blessing. And for a daughter, we say that Hashem should make them like our matriarchs, Sarah, Rivka, Rachel, and Leah. 
And then we give the priestly blessing, which the Kohanim say, May God bless you and guard you. May God make His countenance shine upon you and be gracious to you. May God turn His countenance towards you and grant you peace. And concluding with those words that they should they should bestow my name upon the children of Israel so that I would bless them. And of course, at this point, you would add your own heartfelt wishes, whatever you want to bless your children with, whatever specific message you want to convey to them. Now, at candlelighting time, Candle lighting, as we said, in Johannesburg will be on Wednesday evening at 5.43 p.m. What we do is that you're not going to be having any food at this point on. In fact, the fast begins at candle lighting time. So the table should preferably be covered with a yam tivdik, a white tablecloth in honor of festival, in honor of Yom Kippur. Place a book preferably a book of Torah or prayer on the table in addition to the candle. The book should remain on the table at least until nightfall. And we usher in Yom Kippur 18 minutes as we do every Shabbos before lighting the candles. Now you could light a little bit later than that. Obviously you can light all the way until sunset, but not after sunset. So light your candles on time. We discussed last week all the other important significances of candle lighting. So we won't go there today. I just want to t- highlight a few more points about Yom Kippur observances today. And please do join us next week, Monday and Tuesday, when what we'll try to do is go through some of the prayers of Yom Kippur in our regular Zoom session. So after the candles are lit, but before sunset, we put on men, we put on our talis, and we say the bracha for putting on a talis as you would in the morning, lisate patzitzis. And then, as the sun is setting, we begin the Kol Nidre prayer. If you're not going to shul, then I encourage you to choose an appropriate spot in your home where you could stand, where you could sit, where you could be comfortable, whether it's my home, we try to do it in the library, but uh, please God, there's no lockdowns, we'll all be in shul. But if for any reason anyone can't be in shul, and like I said before, it's better to observe Yom Kippur at home than not to observe it properly in shul. Then you will get ready for Kol Nidre. Join us on our Monday session where we'll talk about the significance of Kol Nidre and the meaning of the prayer. And we're going to go through various other prayers, both from the evening service as well as from the morning service. But I want to just highlight that on Yom Kippur afternoon, and my shul will be approximately 12 o'clock, is Yisker, the memorial prayer that we say for the departed. And that's important if you're looking for one particular prayer to go to Shul for, Yisker, where we remember our loved ones and beseech God to to grant them their, their heavenly elevation, that uh, one should be at Shul for that particular prayer. That's an important part to be in Shul. You can join us for our Zoom session where we'll talk more about that on Monday. Of course, that's followed by Musaf, and Musaf is the longest Musaf of the year. 
It has a very long edition called the Avoda, which is a fundamental section of the service in which we describe what the temple service on Yom Kippur was like. So it's fascinating, it's interesting, worthwhile to read the translation and